This is Linux Unplugged, episode 33, for March 25th, 2014. Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's prepping for the display revolution. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. Uh, I've still got the yellow hat on. The rest of the suit's off, though. And uh, you know, yeah. what, are you? I just want to know. I just got to <laughs> visualize it. Uh, are you? Uh, are you still in the monkey suit? Monkey suit was a thing until it was bedtime, and then the <laughs> wife kind of drew the line in the sand and said, "I'm, I'm not going to do it like they do it on the Animal Planet." So <laughs> that's that's not happening. So that had to come off. Unfortunately, I understand, Matt. Well, yeah. Wow. Uh, now yeah. I like the idea of this monkey suit floating around there, and it could always like there could be another bet down the road, and like the monkey suit looms. You, you know. know that if the bet doesn't pan out, <laughs> they might have to come back out of retirement. Right. But, uh, so this right. week. We're going to kind of pick up on where we touched on uh, on Linux Action Show 305 last week. We talked with uh, Kevin Gunn from Canonical about Mir. And the day that we ran with that show, there was a couple of posts, one from another Canonical developer, uh, Bob, who said, the display server doesn't matter, and we covered that in the feedback. And then after that, two uh, su- uh, succeeding posts came out, one from uh, Martin and one from Aaron from the uh, KDE camp. They said, oh, wait a minute, the display server does matter. And I've, oh. I'll have i tell you, Matt, I, I've been thinking about this. In fact, I thought about this so hard. Get ready for this. I did some okay. exercise. You I, did some exercise? I got exercise. I, I put on my, uh-huh. my new hoodie. Actually, yeah. it was the, I put on the demo print hoodie. I'm not going to lie. And I went out. <laughs> I walked in the rain. And uh, I thought, you know, I wanted to kind of really kind of in the last couple of weeks come to sort of – where where I land on the whole mirror debate because I I for a long time have been taking the hell you know what let them have at it Haas let's see how it goes nothing bad with having a little competition out there it might spur people into getting their butts in gear and make things better for everybody in the long run and now I've thought about it and I realized two things there's a there's a headwind of the general there is a large percentage of the general audience who just doesn't give a crap. They couldn't care less about Mir or Wayland or X11, and I want to change that opinion today. So if you consider yourself one of those people who doesn't really care about Mir, who doesn't really care about Wayland, I want to correct that. Because that is a mistake on your part, at least I think, and I want to make the case why you should care, and why I think if this doesn't pan out correctly, it could fundamentally damage Linux, desktop Linux's success in the future. Okay. And if we don't get this right, and this is why we have to care, because what is at stake here is taking Linux as a serious platform. And that could not be a more critical thing right now as all of these game companies are announcing support for Linux. There was just an NVIDIA demo today. NVIDIA is up on stage, and they're demoing their brand new product on an Ubuntu desktop machine. It has never been a more critical point in the Linux desktop ever in the timeline of Linux desktop and there is something that is about to happen that has never happened in Linux ever. And if we don't get it right, Linux is going to be seen like a joke on the desktop for the rest of its existence. And I, I don't. And that is not, I believe, an exaggeration in the least. In fact, I think it is understating the issue. So if you are somebody who doesn't think they care about Mir, they don't think they care about Wayland, I think you got it wrong. And I want to try to change your opinion on that today. And if it's something you've been kicking around and mulling on for a long time like Matt and I have, I want to give you a little more to think about. Some more thoughts, and, and we're going we're gonna to play off these recent posts uh, that came out right as last was wrapping up. 
Uh, and here we are. You know, we're about a, we're about a year in since the mirror announcement. And I think it's time to reflect on this and and sort of think about the long-term ramifications of it. So that's what we're going to talk about sort of in the second half of this week's show. But first, we should cover some feedback. And we got a lot of feedback on our Solid XK review. One of the uh, folks who wrote in, and we got, I mean, we got so many. It's great. I love it. Because we weren't quite sure, like, if we, you know, should we spend a lot of time on a small distro? Will people be that interested? Are people, you know, are the masses only interested in the big distros? And I think our experiment with Solid XK proves that if you get the right distro, it doesn't matter about the size. If they've got the right recipe, it's worth talking about. So Dave wrote in, he says, I've been distro hopping for some time now, looking for the right one. I think a lot of people can sort of put themselves in that shoe. He said, inspired by last and Linux Unplugged reviews, I got around to taking a look at Solid X, or actually he looked at Solid K. I liked it so much, I promptly nuked and paved over my OpenSUSE install. He says, Whoa. it's a quite well thought out implemented distro, and it's great. Uh, and he says, thanks for the great program, and he loves it. And by the way, he also loves his new hoodie. We, pro- we got tons of people that wrote in and said they're trying out Solid, and they're really impressed with it. And I think it's that, I think it's that that rolling release done right. And I wonder if some of the bigger distros might look at what Solid's doing here and say, eh, maybe there's something we could kind of copy from this, something we could institutionalize. Uh, because I, I think Linux is at its best when you're taking advantage of the fundamental fact that Linux is always moving forward as a whole. I don't mean just the kernel, but obviously the kernel applies here too. But all of the GNU utils, everything in Linux is not static. That's one of its biggest faults. And it's also one of its biggest biggest advantages. And when you are on a distribution that snapshots Linux in time, like all distributions do that aren't rolling, you're inherently going against the nature of the underlying operating system and uh, what all of and, and and how the upstream system works all together. And that's why a rolling release, if you've been a longtime Linux user, can be extremely compelling because it actually, in some really weird, twisted way, feels more natural. It feels like the way the Linux desktop should be. And Solid has sort of struck that um, that comfortable area with these understandable update packs and these and, and, and your core applications yes. on a much more frequent basis. And I, I don't know if Solid's going to be the one because, you know, it's a small team, but bigger distros could watch this success and learn from it, I think. Well, you know, and I look at what they're doing, and then I compare it to like a distros I'm using now, and it's one thing I really like is the fact that they group those update packs together in nice little tidy packages. Yeah, you versus, know, you know, okay, yeah. I'm going to plan for this. Right, it's like the laptop that I have sitting here in front of me, and I'm going to, you know, it's like my old netbook rather, and I boot it up. I know I'm going to have 50 billion freaking updates that I'm going to have to deal with because I haven't done it every day, <laughs> and and it's annoying. I mean, it's like I like the updates, but it's like, oh my god, enough, right? Yeah. So I love the fact that by having them in update packs. You know that's kind of appealing. I, I like I, the fact that I can, I can predict, I can schedule it. Yeah. Now for me, I get a little endorphin spike every day when I do a, <laughs> when I do a Packer yeah. SYU and I see like thirty packages are going to get updated, and I get even a bigger endorphin spike when I see like forty, fifty, sixty packages are going to be updated, and the net difference is a reduction in total disk usage. That is my favorite thing. I love seeing that. So right. for me. Like every day I, I love updating because I always want to get new stuff. I always want to look at the new stuff. I want to use the new stuff. And so far, I haven't been burned big time. Like the biggest burn right. I've had is um, a theme might wonk out on me or sure. VirtualBox won't start until I figured out, oh, I need to have the modules auto build when I update my kernel. You know, there was I've, I've, I've hit some minor snags that I probably wouldn't have hit on a, on a more static distribution. But yeah. those are so minor compared to the thrill I get from having... I know it sounds silly, but when I hear an announcement that a brand new version of Chrome is out and I have it within 15 minutes, that feels right. pretty great. You know, and it could it's everything. Uh, and, and Solid XK, those for people who don't want to ride that edge so close. 
And I think it's pretty interesting. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think the other piece of it is like the only time I really got burned per se was uh, Chrome did some weird legacy library issue that Arch had way sur- surpassed it. They were done. Mm-hmm. And Chrome failed to ca- catch up, and I had to go to Chromium. That was not that much drama. It really wasn't yeah. that big a deal. It's a bit of a I pain just, in your butt. Yeah, but it wasn't that, you know, yeah. but it was, it was like I needed to do this anyway, yeah. so whatever. You remember we also covered on Linux Action Show this Sunday uh, about Debian looking at PPAs. Well, uh, Robert wrote in with some thoughts on that. He says, I was listening to your podcast, as always, and I noticed you aired my letter on the Australian National Board Band Network. He says, but that was on TechSnop, not last. I don't think PPAs are the answer either, but I think there's an existing solution. Docker is fast becoming a standard for software delivery that is distro agnostic and reliable. It's already accepted and, and built into Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and there is a Red Hat certification for software providers. There is a tool called SubUser that uses a config file and Docker to run an application, even a GUI app, in an isolated Docker container. The SubUser allows you to control what the app has access to, i.e. you could allow Firefox to access the downloads directory, but not your documents directory. SubUser is primarily for security, but it uses standard Docker image, so you could run Docker images without SubUser if you wanted to. But if you're using it with SubUser, you could easily control the isolation from the rest of the OS. Docker is also repository-based like Git for binaries, so it would be a single command to download and use. Imagine if you had all upstream project release as Docker images. You could run it anywhere, on any distro, and not have to worry about breaking anything. The distro repos will still be important for the CoreOS stuff, but even the CoreOS stuff could be put in Docker images for a try. I like it. Yeah, I've, I've wondered about this. And <laughs> you know? I think one of the times we interviewed the Docker guys on Coda Radio, I specifically asked him, and I said, so hey, are you guys playing with application delivery? And he said, well, it's not our core focus right now, but we have been experimenting with it. And it's sort of like, uh, it, you know, think of it as a, a little isolated environment for each application. And the overhead would only be... I think, I might have this wrong, but the overhead of a Docker container would only be the differentials from your core system that don't match up with that Docker. So, for example, um, if there was a GL library that was the same on your core system that was called for in the Docker image, it would just use the one on your core system. And because it's not actual virtualization, it's not like you have the overhead of a VM to run these applications. Uh, so I, I I think it'd be something to play with. And I wonder if uh, I'd like to hear from folks out there who might already be doing this because I know it is possible. And uh, so if you're experimenting with application delivery via Docker, uh, let us know, because one of the things that could, in theory, do, at least according to the Docker developer, was uh, sort of normalize out a lot of distro fragmentation. You know, like, for example, Steam is doing this in a sense. Uh, There's the Steam environment. Every time you install Steam now, it installs a Steam runtime environment. That runtime environment looks an awful lot like an Ubuntu 12.04 install. Right, but it's just the files that it needs. Yeah, you know, so they're already kind. This is essentially what Steam is doing right now, Uh, and it wouldn't be, you know, the chat room saying, "Oh, it'd be really messy on your file system." Not necessarily, because you could maybe have all your Docker images under slash opt slash Docker or something like that. You could have an organizational structure to it, where much like on the Mac, when it's time to uninstall an application, you just drag that Docker folder that contains the application to the trash. Because on the Mac, application when you when you drag an application icon to the applications folder to install it on the on the Mac OS X, that isn't one single icon. That's a bundle file. It's a directory. You can right click on those and sh- say show package contents, and they're full of stuff. 
but the OS represents it as a single icon. So when you're dragging that single icon to the applications folder, oh, you're installing the app, but really you're moving a folder. It's it's filled with files and a directory structure, and when you want to remove it, you just move that folder, but it looks like an app icon, to the trash. Docker could implement something similar to that, and in fact, it wouldn't even be reliant on the Docker guys to do that part. The the, the shell guys could do that part, right? And and when you're talking about working in um, the, the user restrictions where you could say your sandbox, you can only access my downloads folder, not my documents folder. Well, that's something that the GNOME guys have already announced they want to do anyways. Subuser sounds a lot like it's already accomplishing what they want to do in GNOME with C groups and whatnot, which is a really good part of it's it's good security hygiene. That way, you know, if you have an exploit in Firefox, it it can't trample your whole system. It makes a lot of sense. And as long as you have the right access, you could override those kinds of things. So I think it's an interesting idea. Uh, thanks for sending that in, Robert. And if yeah. you out there folks have experimented with deploying something in Docker, I would really like to hear that. I would like to hear your success stories because I've been thinking about it too. Um, and it does sound very uh, PBI, PBI-like or yeah. even, uh, click package-like, yep. uh, very similar to those. A little more isolated though. And I think it, I think, more, it, yeah. I think you know, whereas PBI is specific to PCBSD um, yes. and click packages will be specific to Ubuntu, this has the potential of truly being distribution agnostic. And the reason why I think that is super important is because that's what it's going to take to get developers to be willing to put the right. effort in to make the application. Because when you tell them, well, you can make your app and you can easily deploy it on PCBSD or you can easily deploy it on Ubuntu, mm-hmm. yay, you just got a percentage of the market. Woo! But if you make exactly. an app, if you make a Mac for the app, every single Macintosh out there that has the hardware specs can run that application. And to a developer, that is a type of guarantee that justifies the amount of effort involved in making that application and then distributing it. And if you can't guarantee that for Linux, you're not going to bring a bunch of developers over. And I know that makes it sound like developers are lazy, but guess what? Developers are lazy. Come on, well, it's, and it's also it. time is money. It's, it's, it's like, especially if they're yeah. doing this as their job, it's like there's this weird thing called time, <laughs> and they don't have enough of it. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, hmm, you know, I could spend time with my family, or I could go and make sure that, you know, that 40-person distro over there has a package. I mean, you know, it's common yeah. sense. And you I have think. the OpenSUSE build service, which is right. attempting to like, hey, upload your files here, and we'll handle sure. all the behind-the-scenes stuff to make it work on every distro. That is awesome for today's problem, but it really seems like it's a it's a patch to a to a bigger problem that should be solved and this the thing i like about these docker images i don't even know if it would work but the thing that what i like about it is i think a lot of times we've always thought well the way to really solve this is to have a universal package manager across all distributions that's never going to happen no it's not it's never. a nice idea but i mean yeah. we can't even come up with uh you know display server uh correlation between different distros or even the uh back-end system system d versus upstart right. and all that. how yeah how the yeah. hell are we going to do that with packaging come this on this is and this is going to be the point of our talk in a little bit i mean yep. it's just about to get worse well uh speaking of docker and companies that love Docker, Voldy writes in, he says, uh, Hi, Chris and Dom, but he was actually writing for Code Radio, but I snagged this. I finally got <laughs> myself a droplet from DigitalOcean, and they're fabulous. I was getting a lot of latency from the New York droplet, since I'm in India, so I was able to switch to Singapore in no time. Nowhere does anyone ever mention that you get to actually select the architecture of the of the uh, DigitalOcean droplet. Since I run a 32-bit laptop, don't ask, he says, I selected Ubuntu 30-bit, uh, 64-bit up in the cloud, and now I'm cross-compiling in the cloud. It's pretty awesome. So I want to take a minute and thank our sponsor, DigitalOcean. The community out there has been loving DigitalOcean, and if you use the promo code Linux Unplugged March, you can get a $10 credit and try out that $5 DigitalOcean rig for two months. What is DigitalOcean? Well, DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive way to spin up a cloud server, and they are blowing up because they are offering that sweet spot of 
perfect services, wrapped in an awesome-to-use dashboard, and backed by incredible technologies. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds. Our community does in about 44 seconds, apparently. And pricing plans start about $5 per month. They get you 512 megs of RAM, a 20-gigabyte SSD, a CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. That's your fixed cost. You know right there you're going to be paying $5 a month for that. It's not like some of these other services out there where they count your actual usage and your bandwidth transfer and your CPU load, and then boom, your bill is just like a different bill every single month. DigitalOcean is a fixed cost that you can easily quantify. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Amsterdam, and now Singapore. Their interface is simple. It's got an intuitive control panel, and power users can actually replicate the whole thing with their straightforward API. And if you use that promo code Linux Unplugged March, that's Linux Unplugged March to get that $10 credit. Go over there and check them out. They built this system on top of awesome awesome technology. They call it the SSD-only cloud, and I was just updating my Arch droplet that I have up there yesterday. I was getting from the repo 85 megabytes. Yeah, 85 megabytes a second while I was doing the update. And the SSDs, man, they just, boom, they just tear right through that. They have tier one bandwidth, 55-second provisioning. It's all running on top of KVM virtualization. They have amazing hardware. And let me tell you, when DigitalOcean started up, committing to SSDs was a major commitment on their part. It was a huge gamble because back when they started SSD prices, well, they're still high, but back then they were even higher. And people looked at them like they're crazy, but they knew that the performance difference was worth it. Now DigitalOcean also offers private networking so you can go, you can have like a, a web server front end with private di- uh, database servers on the back end. I uh, just recently updated um, my DigitalOcean droplet with the Quasal uh, back end. So Quasal is an IRC client for Linux, and it was so easy to install Quasal on my DigitalOcean VPS. And now I'm logged into the IRC chat room all the time, and I can connect from multiple machines on multiple platforms, and, I, and I'm all sharing the same session routed through my DigitalOcean VPS. It took me minutes to set up, and it offers me so much value in terms of my productivity in the chat room that I would pay $5 a month just for that feature alone. There's so many things you can do with a digital ocean VPS. Once you get started, everything from deploying it as the back end for your production system, there's major sites that run on digital ocean, huge sites on the net run on digital ocean for their production back end. You can use it to train yourself. Go up there and get yourself an actual server that has an imaging system so you can snapshot it before you make a big mistake. You don't have to worry. If you're worried about security implications and you want to build a web app and you don't want to open up ports into your LAN, throw it up on a DigitalOcean VPS and DigitalOcean has awesome support for Docker. You can build your system locally. You can create your app locally in a Docker image and then publish it up on DigitalOcean. They have one-click install. DigitalOcean has open-source Doku. Dooku, which is their application deployment system using Docker. So they're involved in the open source community. They're using KVM. They're using Linux on the back end. They let you choose between Fedora, CentOS, Ubuntu, Arch. I mean, they're an awesome service. And you can get it for $5 a month and for two months free when you use our promo code Linux Unplugged March. So go over to DigitalOcean.com, Linux Unplugged March, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Woo-hoo. I love my VPS, Matt. All Love right, well, guys. changing gears from follow-up to kind of FYI, Josh writes in, he says, Hey, guys, I found out about a free course EDX is offering in conjunction with the Linux Foundation a couple weeks ago, and I know this will be the best possible place to get the word out, so check it out. This would be great for the viewer, and uh, this would be great for a viewer that are in going into college next year like me. 
just loved the show. He's a weekly listener to TechSnap, Coda Radio, and the Linux shows. And I don't know if you heard about this, Matt, but uh, it's, yeah, it's a course from EDX who makes online training. And Josh wanted to kind of put this in front of us. I had seen this, and I kind of thought we would cover it once, because I don't know if it's actually available yet, and I thought that's when we'd cover it. But I just, I kind of wanted to give people a heads up, because it's an introduction course to Linux. Develop a good working knowledge of Linux using both the graphical interface and command line, covering the major Linux distribution families. Uh, you know what? This used to be like a $2,100 course that's now free. So I uh, go take it. Man. Yeah. Holy cow. That's a great savings. Yeah. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And the class starts uh, Q3 of 2014. So I, you know what? I, I thought about it because I was going to just cover it when it launched. But then I was like, we might need to give people a heads up so they can go register. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you guys want to register. It's a $2,100 value. So why not? Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's kind of a no-brainer in its education. And sometimes it's good to relearn some of the basics too. I think that can right. actually be really beneficial because if you if you're self-taught, I took um uh, 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 I can't remember what the course was called, but I went to a, a one of our local community colleges and I took a course on sort of the basics of Linux. And while the, like I'd say eighty percent of it was um, this was years ago, but eighty percent of it was sort of repeat, it was good to see how other people use the tools and, and kind of see like the intended implementation of those tools, not the ones I'd taught myself. So if you're kind of in that camp, you might want to check it out. It uh, It's a good course. And I think it's really yeah. cool they're making it available and props to the Linux Foundation. I'm not sure if they paid them for it or if they're just working with them, but either way, it's pretty cool. Well, however it came about, I mean, that's a that's a big deal. Yeah. So um, cool. last, 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 wow, last, last, in the past. Last, last. Pass on, last on Sunday? Well, maybe that's a better way to put it. Last on yeah. Sunday, we asked, hey, should, hey guys. Should we drop mm-hmm. should we drop the seasons? What do you think? Because you know, like we last last week's last week's episode was um uh season thirty one, episode four, I think. Five, episode five. And I can never remember the seasons. Matt can never remember the seasons. Five, yeah. No. And honestly, the seasons came about back when we used to take breaks every ten episodes, which we realized didn't really work very well. So we put out a poll and we embedded this poll in the show notes. We made it available to the uh to the live stream said hey should we drop seasons in the linux action show and just call it the production number so example last week's episode would be episode 305 81 percent of the votes say drop the season number only 19 percent of the votes say keep the season thing out of a total of 608 votes i mean it seems like drop the season thing is just a runaway winner (laughs) It seems like it, but that seems to have changed from previous uh, inquiries. Yeah, big time. Big, big time. I mean, in the past, the, the, this was almost, the, it was reversed. It was keep the seasons. Part of the, I mean, it's part of the mm. show's legacy is what I was told. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm all for it. I was just worried about making the backlog confusing. But um, I don't know, maybe we'll do like a couple of weeks of transition or something. So that way when people are watching the backlog, they'll, they'll catch up on it. I'm not quite sure, but we'll, we'll link uh, this poll. If you are, uh, I don't know, I mean, I think at this time, I think there's no pulling it out. I think starting next last, I, I don't know, we'll just make the announcement and sort of phase it in, I guess. I, I think so. And I think, you know, we can, we can transition by continuing to keep the seasons in the uh, text portion, like on YouTube and on the, uh, ch- uh, on I the show know, page. Though. I see people I mean, does that become confusing? That. Well, I'll tell you what, because part of this, I'm being completely selfish here, is part of this is I have a hard time keeping track of it. And so I have to keep yeah. keeping track of it if we keep doing that. Um, <laughs> and the other thing is, is it's so long, all spelled out, that it wraps or gets cut off, like on YouTube or on our... Oh, yeah. So it'd be kind of nice just to drop it from the way it looks. And so one of the areas, I, one of, I know this is a dumb reason, but one of the reasons I most want to drop the season thing is I hate how it looks on our website. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a visual yeah. thing. Uh, and so that's kind of like it's the, it's the worst of both worlds for me because I have to keep track of the season thing if we go that way. And I have to continue updating the website with it printed out like that, which I don't like either. I know it would be really convenient, but that's kind of like why I brought this up again because that's just that's an old that's an old thing for me that's just bugged me for years. And every time I'm posting the show, I think of it. It's like it just gnaws at me. Uh, so I don't know. I, it's such a clear, decisive vote. And you know what somebody in the chat room pointed out is perhaps the reason why in the past if people voted differently is maybe they didn't listen to as many podcasts, and now they listen to more True. podcasts, and all the other podcasts are doing numbers. I mean, no, that could be it. When that we came up, it. when we came up with the season thing. Uh, there weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of examples to look to on how you should number your shows. I mean, we've been you know, it's been going on for like seven eight years now, right? So, like when we came up with that shenanigans, we didn't have a lot of models to template after. And I think now it's it's a foreign thing. It's odd. It's weird. Like people people. I think it's one of the things when you first find the show is a little confusing to follow. And it's even going to be more confusing once we switch to the numbers. And it's even more confusing because earlier on <laughs> it was all numbers, and then we went to season, then we're going back to numbers. But at 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 81% of the vote, I, I think the people have spoken. Well, and see, for me, most of the stuff these days, I'm following it on YouTube just because it's – I you know, I haven't used a podcatcher in a while. It just It's kind of how I've progressed over. And I honestly don't care. I mean so for other shows, I don't care what number it is. I either have heard this episode or I haven't. Hey, the, t- the subject is blank. Oh, hey, that's new. I'll listen to it. Yeah, or, like, oh, hey, that's not new. Yeah, I don't care. You know, you know, the chat room is also making some great points. A, all our other shows on the network are number-based, not season-based. And Rekai yeah. points out that if you think about it, it's 10 episodes anyway, so you can get the seasons from the episode number. So you can True. figure it out pretty quick. And uh, Flash Update Cheese Bacon says that course still costs 250 bucks. But oh. when you when you when you drop it down from twenty five hundred whatever it was, it's still a great value. So put that's I'll have that straw poll in the show notes. Mm. You have a few more days to vote, but uh, you know mm. if if it, honestly at this point if that if that keep the season thing creeped up, I would just assume it's bots. <laughs> like, yeah, I know, you know at this point. Yeah, I think it's done. But I I in 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 fairness of letting people get their chance to vote. Uh, it will be in there because I got a note from uh, somebody who said I didn't really wasn't quite clear on where I should go to vote and I want to cast my vote so. I will put it in this week's show notes as well. Links to everything we talk about, guys, are almost always in the show notes. We just make it easy that way for you. And it's, you just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com. You click on the episode you listen to and scroll down past the download links. And I think this is the part that throws people off is they see the show description and they see the download links and they think that's the show notes. But if you keep scrolling your page down, you'll see links to everything we talked about and essentially in order that we covered them. Uh, okay, another update. The course will be free when it launches. So it's, if you want to take the course right now, it's just at a discount. Okay, very good. I just wait until it launches, whatever. Yeah. yeah, why not, right? Okay, so I want to uh, I want to clear some room so we can get into this uh, display server debate. Before we do that, I want to thank Ting. Now, Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider and Matt's mobile service provider. Matt, I got a, I got a note from Ting saying they, uh, they got your banana activated, but uh, it's not going to be able to do picture messaging. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah. So no picture oh, no. messaging because it turns out Banana doesn't have a camera. Oh, my God. Yeah. Who would have thought, right? I know. Who'd have thought? Who would have thought? Unfortunately, the other phone does. So. Right, right. So go to linux.ting.com. That's where you get started. That'll take you to Ting's website. Ting has some really unique approaches to the mobile industry that this is why I'm a Ting subscriber right here is because I think Ting is going to pressure a lot of companies into changing their behavior, and we know that needs to happen. No contract. No early termination fee. And you only pay for what you use. Each line is $6 flat. So you get a phone, you're paying $6 for that phone per month. 
plus taxes, and then your usage. It's straightforward. I have a couple of phones right now on my Ting account, and it's still cheaper than when I had one phone on one of the other carriers. It's unbelievable. Right. They have a savings calculator. You can try it out. You can go over there and see what uh, you would say by switching to Ting. And if you're in a contract right now, they have an early termination relief program. They'll pay up to $75 per line that you have to get canceled. There's some new phones that have just been announced, so keep an eye out on the Ting blog because I think you'll see an update about those soon. Uh, and Ting, one of the reasons Ting is able to offer rates as low as they do and focus on the customer experience and focus on the devices. In fact, I, I just recently watched a video with one of their executives, and he said, you know, for us, it comes down to two things that we're really focused on right now. One is devices, and two is coverage. And if you haven't checked out the Ting service in a while, it might be worth reevaluating. They're writing on the Sprint network, and Sprint has this program that they've implemented Starting in 2013, it's still going on, it's called the Sprint Network Vision, and you can Google this. And it is Sprint's plan to consolidate multiple network technologies into one new seamless network with a goal of increasing efficiency and enhancing network coverage. And as of March 17th, they now provide LTE service in 402 markets nationwide, such as Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, Manhattan, Milwaukee, Queens, Salt Lake City, San Diego, uh, right here in the Pacific Northwest. I've got awesome LTE up at the new studio, and we're talking tri-band LTE too, the good stuff, the multi-band stuff, so you've got lots of good signal to work with. Sprint wants to make 2014 the year that everybody's opinion changes. And the thing is, is Ting is just going to benefit from this immensely because they already have got the customer service end completely dialed in. If you call them at 1-855-846-4389, that's 1-855-TING-FTW, anytime between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. Eastern. Like, so right now, if you called Ting's customer support, a real person answers the phone. Like an actual human being who's going to solve your problem. And let me tell you something. I have been dealing with contractors and companies of contractors and banks building this new studio. I have been on hold and going through phone trees more than I have in years combined. I am so appreciative that if I ever have an issue with my Ting service, I can reach an actual person right away because my time is valuable. I have deadlines myself. I don't want to wait on these companies that I am paying. And Ting understands that. They can focus on the customer service. They can focus on the device. When you buy a device from Ting, you own that device. Just like you want to own your laptop. Just like you want to own your desktop. You wouldn't want to pay into a two-year contract where you're spreading the cost of your laptop out and you don't actually own the device until the ends of that two-year contract where you just have to re-up anyways. It's a system that is designed to extract as much money out of you as possible and it is a system that artificially hides the actual cost of these devices. It's BS and Ting is trying to change all of that and you can help take part of that by going to linux.ting.com where they will take $25 off your first month of service or $25 off your first device. Go check out that control panel. Go check out those devices. Go check out that savings calculator. Go look at their blog for those device updates, which you will see very soon. Linux.ting.com is where you get started. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. They got some great videos on that blog right now. They have some app pick videos. They got an interview with one of their executives, and they have a they have a giveaway of a Nexus Five and four hundred dollars of Ting credit, which wraps up on March twenty eighth. You can find out about all of that over at ting.com slash blog. Get started by going to linux.ting.com. So that way they know you heard about it right here on Linux Unplugged. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Love it. Okay. So we talked with Kevin, and I felt like we got you know a good a good uh, look into um, where the where the uh, 
where the, uh, where the mirror team is coming from hmm? pretty, pretty quickly after that, uh, Martin, who is the developer of K win went to his block and said, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on guys. <laughs> the display server matters in a really big way. He said, I don't know how to put this, but the best description is I am shocked. I am shocked that Canonical is still not seeing the problems they caused by introducing multiple display servers. Uh, he, he has a great post. It's pretty long. He documents technically why you can't rely on the toolkit to interface with the display server. Uh, he uses a screenshot application as a great example. He's actually got code uh, cited in his blog post. It's totally worth checking out because uh, it, from a technical standpoint, if, if this has been something you've been kicking around and you really want to see like the proof in the pudding, that's a good post. Uh, but I think I'll just focus on how he wraps. Uh, he wraps this blog post by saying, in summary, Canonical created a huge problem by introducing another display server, and it's affecting all of us, and they still are in a denial state. It's not as simple, it's not, it's not as simple, it's not as simple as the toolkit will solve it. It can cause issues everywhere, and that affects the development and maintenance cost of all applications. My recommendation to application developers is to never accept patches for this mess Canonical created. If they want that fixed, they should do it in their own downstream patches. Distro-specific problems need to be fixed in the distros. I certainly will not accept patches for frameworks and applications I maintain. This is not for political reasons, as is often claimed, but for technical ones, because I cannot test patches, Mirror is not available on Debian, and our CI system cannot build them, which is their continuous integration system. So he's making a technical argument here saying, look, uh, I'm not able to test these properly. It's their responsibility, and I think it's disingenuous for them to downplay the importance of the display server. Okay. Well, you know, the way I see it is I completely agree with the, you know, he shouldn't have to deal with the patches and all that. I, you know, hey, if you don't want to participate, don't, um, you know, if I, if from a developer point of view. I think that makes perfect sense. It's like, look, you know, I'm not going to even participate in that mess. Good luck, but I'm not doing it. And that's, that's the right approach. Has it or will it create problems? I don't think we're there yet. I think, I think we're definitely speculating, but I think he's got some great points. So, I definitely think you know. Think he has some good points. I agree, and I. But here's where I. Here's where my opinion has begun to diverge from that position that I've pretty much held since the announcement of Mir, because that's essentially what you just said summarizes my outlook on this whole thing. My general sure. approach to covering both sides of this debate. Right. I think you know after talking with Canonical, after reading these posts, after going on my rainy walk, which is now sunny out. Go figure. Um, <laughs> I've come down much much harder on this issue. Um, and, it, and all credit really goes to Aaron Saigo, who, who created, I mean, Martin and Aaron, man, they tag team this stuff, right? And so Aaron comes out with a, a sort of a response to Martin's response. And he said, Martin's response demonstrates how many application developers will end up having to care about this kind of thing. He made a convincing argument, and yet he only touched on a few examples, like the screenshot application. But many more could be added such as using an on-screen display or the OSD as like what like Clementine does when you change the track and it'll have an on an OS, an, you know a pop-up of this track is now playing these kind of things like that like those types of on-screen displays and applications with screen capture features such as K snapshot or the gimp these kinds of things are not generally provided by the toolkits themselves and require interacting with the display server. So anybody who's making those apps can't rely on the toolkit. The OSD right. use case is quite illuminating, Aaron says. Future versions of Plasma will provide a debug service that can be used for simple OSD needs, like changing the volume in an application, getting an on-screen indication of the volume level. I expect in time, the services will grow features to support more sophisticated on-screen display patterns 
as this will not only increase desktop integration, but provide a way to work around security restrictions to play systems like Wayland and Mirror in force. But what happens when this magical new debug service doesn't exist, like it might not on a Unity desktop? Here's another example. Status notifiers, or perhaps called app indicators on Ubuntu. This is a debug service, and it's not available anywhere. The answer until now has been to fall back to legacy X11-specific X-embed method when you don't find the back-end system you need. Does this affect users, these kinds of things? The increase in development burden will, will mean users of certain display systems will experience degraded performance and features in application. Application development will slow down as developers come to grips with the diversity and, in turn, quality will suffer as it tends to with multiple code paths when they're not easily tested in parallel. I, I, let's... Let's stop talking about the future for a second, and let's talk about something I think most desktop Linux users who bounce around desktop environments have experienced. You you ever seen this problem, Matt, where like you got you got an application and it has like a little system tray icon, and maybe uh, uh, that particular developer decided I don't want to implement um, the the app indicator support for Ubuntu. So when you're in Ubuntu's Unity desktop you don't get an icon up in the right-hand corner. But when you're in KDE, you do get the icon. And no, maybe it's hit and miss. You know, you, you've seen this kind of thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something I've definitely experienced. But it also colors, based on the, the level of difficulty, which direction I'm going to go through. Um, sure. Because uh, I've certainly had that experience both in Unity and KDE. Um, lesson known. But, um, yeah, it's you know certainly uh, certainly happened. Sure. And see, I feel like I've had more success in like almost all of the uh, little tray icons show up in KDE. It's totally yeah. hit and miss in Unity, and GNOME's gotten a lot better about it, but it's still hit and miss in GNOME. And this itty bitty tiny bit of fragmentation was introduced when a couple of different desktops decided to implement, or really one desktop decided to implement app indicators differently than the other desktops. And even True. today, years later, we still get that wrong. And Let's let's be clear for what it is. It looks like amateur hour. It looks pathetic. It's something that the Mac OS or Chrome OS or Windows would never get wrong and does not ever get wrong. It looks ridiculous. And I think we have to be clear when we're having this conversation that this type of little itty bitty fragmentation has much wider ramifications in how people appreciate and experience a desktop and this as i'm going to use this example because it's something we can all relate to and then we're going to look at the larger ramifications of the fragmentation at the display server level but what i want us all to think about as we are moving forward in this conversation is look at the future directory of linux of desktop linux quote-unquote desktop linux competition because it's not windows it might be windows today it might be windows for the next few years but five ten years down the road on the high end it's mac os 10 on the low end it's chrome os and android and those desktops would never be caught dead with that kind of amateur hour implementation. That was not going to happen. And that is our competition. If you look at the forward directory of the trajectory of the desktop market, that's who we're competing against. And those platforms, specifically Android, Chrome OS, and Mac OS X, already have a worldwide distribution system with massive amounts of momentum behind them. They have stores in, in almost every country around the world. You can order online. They have a brand image around them. And that's what future Linux is going to be competing with. That's what we're competing with, and we are not even bringing our A game. We're not even we're not even doing a very good job with our current setup. And now we're about to introduce fragmentation at the core level of the desktop that we have A never had fragmentation before, and B are fundamentally under resourced to properly develop it as it is. The X team already split to have one team work on X11 and one term 
one team work on Wayland. Well, think about right. this. What if Ubuntu had, in some parallel universe, had decided to go with Wayland? That would mean millions of more users banging on Wayland. That would mean more bug fixes, more refinement at a higher pace to Wayland, making that core part of the Linux desktop experience more refined, more tested, more performant. All of these things that matter, especially as game developers are moving over to Linux, but instead we are splitting our resources, we are splitting our attention, we are splitting our testing, we are splitting our development time, and at the same time we are introducing all kinds of fragmentations that developers are going to have to account for. Because here's how humans work, right? You're going to have your distribution, you're going to develop on that. It's either going to be a Wayland-based distribution or a Mir-based distribution, and whatever it is, that's the one you're going to properly test on, because that's the one you use, and that's the one that the features are going to work correctly on. When I go to the next track in Clementine, whichever distro display server the Clementine developer is using for, that's the one I need to use if I want the next track on-screen notification, and that's even more amateur hour. We are introducing a level of fragmentation at the core of Linux that will mean that applications are even more hit and miss now in what they feature. Does this application have a screenshot button? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Depends on what desktop you're on. Do you get an on-screen display? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And here's another reason why you need to care. Because if you only want to use Unity for the rest of your life, then Mirror's going to work great for you. But if you ever want to use Ubuntu with another distribution, well, you better learn how to install Wayland. You better figure out, you're going to. this is going to be an explosion in block post and how to load Wayland on Ubuntu desktops because everybody out there that wants to use anything but Unity ever is going to need to learn how to install Wayland on their Ubuntu machine. And that's another reason why you should care. The reasons stack up. And this, these very issues, these these fundamental issues are exactly the kind of thing that affect users. So while I might not care if it's Mirror Wayland, I sure as hell care if my application doesn't work correctly. I sure as hell care if I have to spend an hour figuring out how to install Wayland on my Ubuntu install so that way I can try out GNOME 3 whatever. It's it, it does absolutely affect users. It fundamentally affects users. I think it also slows down uh, adoption uh, in a very serious way because Big I think time. over time, yeah, and that's that's the piece that I see the bigger because at the end of the day, gr- granted, I fall back to my old the market will sort it out and it will, but we shouldn't have to sort it out in the first place. I mean, that's the big piece of it right there is that we're spending unneeded time sorting this out when it shouldn't have been an issue in the first place at right. all. Right, and, um, and but you yeah, look at yeah, it and like, it's going to get sorted, but it's going to be like a ten year process. And so developers be- are always like, "Oh, Linux is too fragmented. I don't know what I should target." This just changes the equation even more yeah. uh, you look at how 3d games capture the mouse pointer that's going to be different between desktops or uh, display environments if that's going to game developers are going to have to uh, think about this kind of stuff and the other thing is i you know from my old contracting background and aaron touches on this in his post and i thought it was really well done he says think about it from an it support perspective right you already get people like what i i i had several clients that had linux on the desktop and, the, you know, the question, the problems would always arise if they one person was on one distro and another person was another distro. One person would have something work. Another person wouldn't. And then it would be, oh, well, you need the uh, build utils. Well, what's that called on Fedora? What's that called on Ubuntu? I mean, it's already the, the diversity that we have there, while in some ways in strengthens and empowers Linux. It also, from a support standpoint, is already too complicated. Well, that's what's just going to happen when the display server changes. Currently, as Aaron writes... Guides and manuals covering Linux can assume that Xorg is running and other troubleshooting tips with that assumption can be in place. This is also one reason why the Linux world is standardizing on systemd is such a good thing. Support will become easier when we don't have to ask, are you using system with system 5 in it, system 7 in it, system D upstart? You just have to start troubleshooting at that level. Multiple display systems will produce a similar result. In commercial settings, this also translates to more cost particularly to companies who provide professional IT support for companies running desktop systems. Does this matter to users? Well, 
It means less clear documentation, more difficult support for Linux, and higher commercial support costs. So yes, I would argue that matters to users. And man, did that resonate with me because I have been, I have watched Linux go from the <laughs> joke when I recommend it to, yeah, let's implement yeah. Linux, right? And I, I have been advocating the deployment of Linux in businesses for years. And I was already feeling the pushback from like the, my doctor clients all wanted Macs. And all my doctors wanted to get Macs. And I really, right. it is, you know, as soon as that support argument is brought up, uh, my arguments are completely deflated because how do you compete with Apple stores everywhere? How do you compete with a, a you know a warranty in writing and a system that's honestly less of a moving target? It's really well, it's hard for me to fight against that. Yep, it's a unified experience that I don't. Even if we go System D, we go Wayland, we go the whole thing. We still don't have a unified experience. We don't at any level, and, and it's we're happening, not even near that. It's happening yeah. at a time where we could be coalescing around Wayland. We could be coalescing right. around System D, right? And these are major coalescions that could be happening. Uh, and, exactly. And he says, if they get, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, if they get those two and they get the packaging figured out, you know, Bob's your uncle. You're good. That, uh, those three things together would do wonders. He, Aaron points out, you know, this matters to display systems. One thing free software does not have is enough of its graphic developers. With Xorg, there were exactly one place you could contribute to if you wanted to push forward the display stack on a free software operating system, such as Linux. Then Mir came along and introduced a split in the developer community which means fewer human resources applied to a topic that really needs every single pair of hands we have. Instead of one system that as good as we can make it, we'll end up with a slower development of two systems with the risk of more of them being less than great. And I, I think this part could be argued because you could say good competition spurs uh, good innovation. But at the same time, if, you know, if you're familiar with the, with the core X development, you know how bad that situation is and how much we do need all hands on deck for that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, uh, Aaron points that this is obviously no minor task. Mir was originally promised to be the display system of choice in desktop Ubuntu uh, in 2013-10. Then it was pushed back to 2014-04, and now it's pushed out to 2016-04. This is not a trivial sort of project, and making it harder by limiting human resources available is unwise. And I think what we fall back on too often, and I think something we can chant, there's a couple of things we chant a lot in the Linux community. Well, yeah, maybe KD isn't making you happy. But you know what? It's great because you got choice. Well, that choice is not all that great if none of the choices are awesome. So, yes. uh, but, you know, Saigo says he's hopeful. He says, I do hold out hope. The free software community is speaking with a singular voice. And that voice is saying, after X, it's Wayland. Wayland itself is still being worked on and has reached a level of maturity that allows real-world use. Several of the major desktop products are well on their way of supporting it as a first-class option, including Plasma by KDE, Gnome Shell, and Enlightenment. All the major toolkits upstream have support for Wayland today, and Wayland has the broadest driver support next only to X itself. So that's a good point to be made, so he's a little hopeful. And he goes on to say the Mir team keeps bringing up these topics, although so does the KDE team. What's up? Uh, but he says maybe they need to defend their position. So does the KDE team. I can emphasize with how uh, how they how, – how, I, I don't want to repeat what he's saying here, but what he says is sure. I can emphasize that they're working on something they truly believe in, and they're being told it's the wrong thing to do. He says, I feel it is their right to develop Mir at their heart's content, uh, and I cheer their moxie. Similarly, it is our right as developers and users to choose what to support and what not to. Such decision-making is aided by having an accurate and complete information, and it's with that goal in mind that I wrote the post above. And I thought this was a great post, because I think what we are entering into is an era of unprecedented fragmentation in the graphical space for Linux. And I want to... Yes. And I... And I I want to reel it back in here because I'm pretty upset about this the more I think about this because what I see this potentially as is I see this as 
I don't want to use the words I'm thinking of, but the. the, He's a politically correct version, maybe. Well, (laughs) (laughs) it is it is hobbling desktop applications in order to push forward the Ubuntu agenda, because I don't believe we can. We have already seen Unity itself introduce a a level of fragmentation that is below commercial desktops that would be intolerable for commercial desktops. We have already seen that. We've already seen. The, the play out of that. So when you introduce some fundamental stuff at the at the display server level, you either have two options as a developer. You try to target both main display servers, and one of those targets is probably not going to be as optimal as the other, or you simply ignore one altogether. In either scenario, users lose. So if you don't care about what display server you're using, then you probably ought to stop using Linux. Because at the at the end of the day, this is going to fundamentally change how the application landscape looks on Linux. And even if it is just one application has an on-screen display on one display server and doesn't on the other, that is enough to have me upset because that is unacceptable. It is not good enough. And I want the most kick-ass display server possible. We have the sure. most kick-ass kernel possible. How about we get the rest of the stack as kick-ass as we can? And to sabotage a display server like this for one company's personal gain in a mobile market that is not likely to be tremendously successful anyways feels awfully selfish to me right now. Well, you know, I honestly, and I think even Valve will be included in this, I don't think anyone's going to give a rip and rat's butt about Mirror one way or the other going forward. I really don't. I think just from the backyard developer guy who's doing this in his boxer shorts down to the multi-billion dollar corporation, I don't. I think they're going to look at this fundamentally and be like, you know, honestly, uh, I'm going to go whichever way the community is going, whichever way the uh, you know the video card vendors are going, whichever way direction they're headed – Basically, it's a numbers game, and so I think this potentially – I'm hoping, I'm right on this, that this could work itself out fairly early on. I'm hoping. The more I think about it, the more I think that well, it's uh, – that's a good point. You know, look, I mean, yeah, you I could, hope so. I mean it's I definitely so. early days, and I think something I wanted yeah. to kind of kick around to the mumble room is maybe abstraction can solve it because we're all looking at this yeah. with today's set of problems and today's set of uh, tools to solve this problem. Sure. And I think also – you know, uh, something that Martin and Aaron were trying to make the push is, is developers are users too. And in fact, I think developers make up a good user base of Linux, right? I think that's probably who a lot of the develop, uh, users are, are developers. So right. by impacting developers, you are impacting the users of Linux. And I think you're going to, that's, that's a segment that's going to continue to outgrow any other segment of Linux usage. Uh, yes. But uh, uh, I don't know, anybody in the mumble room want to take a first shot at this? Is this a, is this a problem that future Chris and Matt aren't even going to have to worry about? So can I ask you a question, Chris? Go for it, Poppy. Um, what's the single most used display server on Linux right now, as in in most in most deployments? Xorg. No, Surface Flinger on Android in way more deployments than anything else. Wayland, Mir, or Xorg. Mm, good, good trick question, Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a well good one. Surface Flinger, Surface Flinger is the display server on Android. Nobody seems to have told them that they can't have their own internal project for a display server, which is used. But on don't you think the difference of devices? But the difference why, there. Why do we get? Why do we get that flag? But isn't the difference there? Go? Those are. The, but that's uh, that's sort of in a sense. A whole cloth creation, right? Where it's a whole new ecosystem with a whole new set of apps that are are designed for that system. But on on the Linux side, just like Ubuntu Phone. Yeah, exactly. Well, if anything, the most biggest problem is it's a whole different paradigm compared to our legacy, or at least what everything else has ever been. I mean, I think Poby makes a good point, but I think that I think the the subtle difference. 
is that you only have to target Surface Flinger on Android. All right. So when you're making your Android apps, it's not really something that even has to be a consideration. But on no, you don't. You don't because the stack that's abstracted away from you in exactly the same way that Robert and Robert Carr have both blogged about. That stuff so is you abstracted would, away from you by the toolkit. You would disagree then with the assertion that Saigo and Martin are making that uh, it's not quite as abstract as everyone would like. No, I'm I'm suggesting that there are certain edge cases where you need to know about the underlying fundamental bits and pieces. And yeah, a screenshot tool is a real easy shooting fish in a barrel, um, <laughs> or, you know, one to pick because it, it obviously needs interaction with the display server. But there are way more applications out there than there are screenshot tools. And there are way more developers out there developing tools with toolkits, which will just work on these display servers and won't have this problem. Hmm. So you say that Canonical has the amount of influence and power that Google has when it comes to the mobile marketplace is just a little bit of a excessive statement. Uh, did I say that? When it comes to comparing Surface Slinger to Mirror, a little bit. No, I didn't. All I'm, all I'm suggesting carpet, it's not actually is that, important. All I'm suggesting is that that it's it's entirely possible for someone to come up with a display server on Linux which isn't Wayland and isn't X, and for them to deploy that to a large number of handsets around the world and it work, and for application developers to do their work on top of that and not really care that it's Surface Fling underneath and not Xorg or Wayland or whatever. So I think the fundamental disagreement I see here is one side thinks that it's really not going to be that big of an, um, ramifications for developers or, or application functionality, and another side seems to disagree with that position. The surface area of mobile is also far smaller in a way that it's very specific. Its kernel is predefined other than the CyanogenMods mods or whatever personally built mods that Android has. Otherwise, the desktop is very, very different. There's a lot more yeah. ambiguity. And, and it's a lot harder to do, which is one of the reasons why Mir hasn't landed in the desktop. Right, and well, it's kind of the point you mentioned that if it comes down to, here's a toolkit you can use to build your app, and it'll guarantee it'll work, that works, but that's not a model that Linux has typically gone well, with and before. I, th- I, think, uh, I think their argument is, is no toolkit is actually that comprehensive. There's, there's bugs or there's just gaps in what it's capable of providing that eventually... It'll work in a special case of Unity, pretty much only. I think their argument is eventually, you know, there's, there's, you have to close a few gaps, and when you do that, you got to write directly to the display server. You can't write to the toolkit. And I think... I think the I think the and concept I, of a perfect toolkit is sort of sort of like a it's sort of like a dream, but I don't think we've ever in the history of computing achieved the perfect toolkit. No, and I, I agree with the there are going to be holes in every toolkit, and there are bits that we're going to have to do at the plumbing layer, um, and components that we're going to have to provide that won't be provided by Q. We know that, and and we're building those as we go, and. Yeah, this is a bit of a learning exercise for us as well. But I, I don't think um, the the criticism is is necessary. I don't think it's as, as warranted as, as some might think. It, it it's In some ways, it feels like, okay, right, we've got them to switch the system D. Right, what's next? Ah, oh, yes, me. Right, let's have a go at them about that again. Let's see if we can get them to change that one now. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I guess what I'm worried about is... Um, 
I'm worried that wishful thinking is influencing that thinking because it in an ideal world, I think I, I think that's too ideal. And I think the history of specifically desktop Linux shows us that things are very fluid and things are never quite as great as we want them to be. And the idealism usually gives away a little bit of pragmatism. And I think at the end of the day, uh, there's a lot of bets on um, things kind of coming together at the right time to make all of this work. Uh, I think I think Ubuntu's time is coming to an end soon because I mean they've been alienating and alienating the user base so much over the years with Unity with Near with uh, yeah I don't know about that I, you know, you know Riley I hear that a lot Riley but the thing is is evidence of it yeah. the thing is is you you can't discount the massive cloud deployment that Ubuntu has which will naturally push a lot of developers and sysadmins to want to run Ubuntu I mean they're doing really great there uh, and I think also uh, I I think let's look at it from a from an from an alternate perspective what if uh, we fast forward three years down the road or uh, 2016 or whatever it is. Um, where we have like this great QT based desktop, which I think a lot of us think QT has a strong future ahead of it. You know, uh, maybe this is a little bit further down the road, but it's sitting on top of system D. Uh, the only piece that has a lot of questions is how is, I think what people are really worried about is uh, the fragmentation being introduced at such a critical layer. I mean, we can all argue about package names and how they're different between all distributions or the locations of certain libraries and how they can be different or where the config goes can be different. But we've, we as a user base and as developers have never had to worry about that display layer. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's gotten old and it, you know, it, it's time has come to be replaced. But at the, at the same time, it has been at least a consistent thing, not just across Linux, but also across Linux and the BSDs. It is a consistent aspect for software development when you're targeting these systems that is now no longer going to be consistent. And I think except, you cannot understand that. Except for that other, uh, platform that you keep forgetting about that that has more deployments than all of those well that i mean there there is a reality to that but i you know i'm very focused on the actual desktop desktop aspect of linux and maybe you know down the road uh, i i mean we're already seeing more and more laptops that are shipping with android i just recently saw a post for a full-fledged desktop with a keyboard mouse and monitor running android uh, so, I mean, you know, it could be a fair point that, again, we don't know what the future has ahead of us. But right now I'm really focused on, you know, making my desktop version of Linux better than ever. And I'm I'm really worried that if we cock this up and, and if we get this wrong at this critical time with with uh, new types of companies getting on board and making great products, but also all of the desktop environments are getting to the point now where they're so good that it's these little things that bug us, like the indicators and all this kind of stuff. We're really getting to a good point. And if we kind of screw this up, I just, Android and Chrome OS and, and the Mac are going to eat us alive. So in three weeks' time, and thereabouts, three weeks and two days, um, Ubuntu is going to ship 14.04, and that's going to have X as the display server. Right. And Unity 7 with Compiz, everything you know and love or hate, depending on your point of view. Um, and that gets support for five years. So if you're a game developer, you can still write your same game using your same libraries. And oh, by the way, if you wanted to port it across to Mir, SDL supports Mir as well as supporting Wayland. So it's, I don't, I think you're painting a, a rather bleak outlook for something that's, Nothing, not going to happen anytime soon. That's true. Mir, I mean, that... Mir is not going to be the default on the desktop for some time. I think, 
Aaron was a little bit pessimistic, saying uh, Mir is pushed back to 1604. You know what I think uh, it is, Popey, is I think we have been, over the years, those of us who've been running desktop Linux as our main desktop for so long now, have watched these sort of peaks, and then it's almost like watching the price of Bitcoin, man. It, 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 it peaks, and then it crashes, and it peaks, and it crashes, and... We're so gun shy. We've been so, we're so, we've been whipped so many times now that when we sniff something that's going to screw things up, there's this really strong reaction. And uh, I, you know, you mentioned the system data debacle. I am seeing a pivot now in these conversations to more of the technical side. And I think you would agree that one of the things that sort of was um, really strong on the system side of the argument for Debian's and its system was they had the technical argument. And that technical so, argument was really strong, and now you're seeing them bust that out on the on the display server argument. So we we talked about this a few weeks ago, where um, the the Linux community and people who are interested in Linux news, uh, I, I agree with you, are watching um, you know LWN and watching Pharonix and 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 maybe Slashdot if that still exists, um, and and seeing these news articles about all kinds of. You know, developments in, in various camps and yeah, reacting in the same way that you might react to Litecoin or Bitcoin. And, and I think it's kind of overdone because, you know, in the past, I, I've had people, um, bark at me on Twitter, you know, complaining that, um, Ubuntu was removing GIMP from the CD. And I remember him saying, whoever it was, this mythical person on Twitter, saying to me, mark my words, this was the end of Ubuntu because you're removing GIMP from the CD. I mean, get real. That, that was right. years ago. I mean, we've all, and, and, we've all watched and we like these, these huge upsets over stuff that ends up not being a big one, but those have never been something as fundamental as the display server. And I, I, no, I, I, I argue that... The system D and the upstart one, you know, that was brought to a head by the fact that Debian had to make a decision and Debian made that decision. But at decision. the end of the day, that's less important than the display server itself. For the well, time you wouldn't being, have thought that like if, you were watching, I mean, if you were reading any of the news articles over the last three months, there's no way you could think that this was less important than anything else on right. the planet. Well, I feel like it is, though, like in a long-term ramification standpoint, because what what we really need to do is make the application experience better. And I, I think what we, we I think the scenario I could potentially see playing out is on the Unity desktop, Unity eight or Unity nine, you know, whatever it is at this point. Like all of those applications are really going to be top tier uh, after they've had a few releases and had some time in the market. They'll they'll really be great, and they'll work. Uh, you know, the, the marriage between Mirror and the desktop environment and even the applications it's going to feel so refined and cohesive. But I, what I worry about is is outside of that, I'm worried about certain desktop applications that don't have the support. And I think as people start to wrap their support for certain features, I think as people start to wrap their their minds around that, I could see this erupting to even bigger than the systemd debate because it, it honestly affects more people. Potentially, well, well does I it, mean, your point I mean, is well taken. Your developers, it might. I, you know, I don't think my mum's going to be affected by this. Well, I don't think she she knows what displays. She doesn't even know what web browser she uses. She just clicks the pretty colored icon in the corner of the well, screen. Your mum, your your mum could be affected by this. By she could say, uh, uh, "How come on my on my computer here, I no longer get the Thunderbird pop up about a new email message? I really like having that." And you know, what are you going to have to say to her as well? You know, uh, the developers for Thunderbird decided not to imp- implement support for how we do that in Mirror. So, so in in the, I, I heard you uh, during your rather breathless rant earlier um, 
talk about some of the issues that, that may come up, you know, the, the, the potential issues that may come up. And what, what you've got to remember is that we don't develop Ubuntu in a vacuum. It's in all the packages that we put in the archive are in the archive and coexist with other desktops like Kubuntu, KDE, like Zubuntu and Lubuntu. And we test a lot of this stuff on different environments. It's not, it's not just developed and tested and the developer says, Oh, it works on my desktop. Ship it. Sure. It, it doesn't work quite like that. Well, so I, I guess the, 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 the end point I'm trying to make is I think probably the biggest takeaway is we have a lot of time. Uh, like you mentioned, the LTS is about to ship with X. And then a lot can change in that five years that LTS has support. But I think I, at the same time, you know, you can, you can look at the past Ubuntu controversies that really haven't turned out to be that big of a deal. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean that every situation moving forward is that is the same thing. That future situations need to be evaluated on their own merits and their own, you know, their own impacts. Um, and this is a multi-level issue. You know, you have the the politics of it, which are which are way too hostile already. You yeah, have the potential reason, technical ramifications. People are just making almost no deal out of this. It's making a molehill out of a mountain in controversy or at least in contrast compared to the usual thing they're sweeping it under the carpet as if this is absolutely Im- unimportant to I th- anyone and i think this but is, it is core that's an interesting i think that's how i see this right now and at the same time like i'm of a mixed i'm of a mixed mind on it because i i've also witnessed in open source how a little you know coke versus pepsi can benefit the overall desktop and can benefit overall linux and so i'm not I'm not staunchly against uh, Mir on, on on that principle, but what I am staunchly against is having Linux desktop get any more shitty. If it gets if it gets any worse at all, we are screwed. I mean, we have well, literally we have literally across the board. We have got to be over the next few years. It is go time to play at our A game. And I, I guess what I worry about is if if we are even playing at our B-minus game because of some differences between applications on different display servers. Man, the developers will look at that as an excuse not to develop for Linux. End users will look at that as confusing and, and make Linux hard to understand. And sysadmins and, and support people will look at that and say, how do I, how do I provide cost-effective support for that? And, and the thing I mean, is, I, the argument could be made... Feeling. The argument could be made that if it was all Wayland across the board, this wouldn't even be a concern. And I think that issue right there, when people start thinking about that, it gets them a little fired up. You know what I mean? It gets them it a little upset. Something else. It well, I something love healthy else. competition. There should be healthy competition within our ecosystem. In a way, Mirror was made in haste before Wayland's true potential could Wayland be realized. Was well, its yeah, yeah. Six, I mean, yeah. Come on. Now. I mean, Let's I think it's supposed to be though. stable. Well, something that's Wayland, in the system, it's got to be tested I, I for years feel like, I and feel hammered. Like, no, I kind of feel like if Mir was announced two years ago, it would, like, I think a lot of people, I think there's, I think this would be a lot different. Uh, I think they, I think, you know, you got to give Canonical credit. They were early, Ubuntu, whoever, whatever, they were early supporters of Wayland, but I think, you know, I understand there's market realities. There's products you need to be able to ship. I produce a Linux show and I edit it on a Mac. I understand there's compromises that need to be made to produce the product to get it to the market at a way that's cost-effective and actually deliverable. And I think that is where Mir came out of. And that is a completely reasonable and understandable perspective. But the problem is, is that doesn't mean it still doesn't introduce potentially future oddities throughout the entire desktop. I mean, it is, it is, it is fundamentally something that could happen. And if it does happen... 
I just I do not feel like we can afford for it to happen. And so we either have all desktops potentially reduced in functionality at some degree, even if it's just non-screen display not showing up, or somehow it all gets abstracted out and it all works out. And that's a potential too. I don't know. Yeah, two things, two things I want to bring up real quick because I think we need to take a ba- trip back in time to a little thing that was called early revisions of Jack. Okay, <laughs> I remember a very popular newbie distribution that was absolutely all about Jack. Screw everything else. This is what the future is. Never mind the fact that I could literally load a web page and break Linux audio. That's a big freaking deal. I honestly thought it was the end of Linux as we knew it. It was a big problem. Flash forward to today, the new devil is Pulse Audio. I mean, they're different animals, mm. granted, but they still interact yeah. with your ability to hear I, sounds on your computer. And I suppose that's Popey's point. Yeah, yeah, I, we, we will work through it. Now, I will advocate against that. Yes, I do think that if potentially this does create new problems, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drag us through the mud a little longer. Is it going to be a major problem? Uh, no. Yeah. I think a major delay? Yes. Yeah. Major problem? Not so much. But um, I, because I've seen this movie before, I'm not that concerned about it because I've seen – audio is a big deal. It's a lot like display. If you, you, know, you see, you hear, those are kind of big deals. Um, I think we'll work through it. I think we'll work through it. I think we just need to kind of you know, try to kind of come together, kumbaya, whatever the hell and we got to do. I think you could make you know? the argument that maybe Pulse Audio, um, if it had something to compete against, something to compare itself, something to measure against, yeah. something to uh, you know, live up to, yeah. maybe it would have taken a different route. And perhaps yeah. – Perhaps well, it provides me with functionality I want that I can't get without. I'm willing, I mean, that's just factually true. Uh, yeah, and I'm willing to say we have to go through a growth period. Maybe there's some oddities like the Thunderbird notification doesn't right. show up. But in the end, if these two things can make each other better and that creates a more kick-ass display server, yeah. sure. okay, I, and that's I'll take what, that. Uh, yeah, and we may have right, some so third stick, option stick from with your, you know, whatever. Stick with your oh, RCS or whatever, you know, whatever your favorite stable distribution is that sticks with X sure. until Wayland is ready yeah, or but, stick with Ubuntu until Mir but, is ready. What happens a year or two years from now when 1404 is as old as still, like 1204 is now, and you have nothing to switch to? Um, oh, I would say – yeah. I, I would like to say, I mean, my biggest disagreement with Matt's point is – Oh, oh, there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> Be back. I think that might have – was that you, Tyler? You might have a little buzz there on your line. I know Daredevil wanted to get a point in. Yeah, I just like to interject because I've actually done some research on the differences between X, Wayland, and Mir, and I see as Mir taking a different approach technically. So X11 was this huge thing that pretty much initially was very small and started patching up, and because it was just adding features, adding features, adding features, the result was the colossal huge amount of software that, that it is today. Now, recent improvements have been stripping those things out. Whalen actually comes and says, we're going to define a very basic premise and you can build on top of it and move some of the responsibilities that are currently being addressed by X and letting that to the compositor or to the plugins. So Weston is doing kind of that work. Mir takes a different approach and says, look, developers are used to program against something that actually has these features present and they only deal with a very small subset of these features. So they will actually only use those. And Mird says that we are going to provide the same rich set of features. However, because we are implementing Mir with those concepts in mind, we are actually going to provide a more stable platform for that. That's why I wanted to interject on this matter, because technically they approach the problem very differently. Um, Whalen moves the problem upwards, and Mir tries to solve the problem in the same section that X was solving. In a way, 
And when we actually think about most applications, yes, actually don't mess up with display server. And that's a fact. Current window managers and game developers use libraries. And those libraries do Windows support, Mac support, Linux support. And those platforms are completely different. How is that possible? It's simply just making an abstraction. And from that perspective, the same way libraries appear to allow cross-pollination of code, I'm not sure why it wouldn't be possible to make for the display servers. So well, that... that's why I was saying the, the paradigm of Mir is completely different, as XORG and Wayland have a thing which are normal, which composite to a certain screen or a certain surface, and that is resultantly put on like, to the video driver and to your screen. Mirror takes a completely different approach by having a completely different compositor per window or per UI element. And that is a... what is it? A... Some, no. They're all compositing you know, together separately. And then well, it actually gets put onto the screen, which is why it is slightly more pluggable, but it's completely yes. more interconnected t- to each other because they're all their own compositor. Yes, it is actually more modular in that sense, but in the other sense, let, let's let's take the other view. I'm the final developer. I'm consuming one of these compositors. So wouldn't I have then, if my application tends to do some work that matches best with this compositor and then matches best with the other one, am I not just duplicating my efforts again? I guess it's really, if we are looking at from a technical perspective, the approach of mere taking is, we have this model and people are used to it. And there's also another thing I would like actually to point out is a lot of people seem to say that Canonical is backing Mir for their um, company uh, issues and they want to solve that in a Ubuntu um, more uh, pleasant way, let's say. For their business but, requirements, you might say. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But Wayland isn't that... Uh, innocent either, if we think about it, because some of the X developers were actually Nokia developers and other companies developers, which moved to Wayland. So I'm not seeing the point there. So I wouldn't even say that that's an argument at all. I think you guys have both, uh, Heaven's Revenge and Daredevil, and I've, that's funny, the opposite names there. I think you yeah. both have raised some interesting perspectives on how <clears throat> Mir could provide solid competition to Wayland and kind of kick Wayland in the ass in a few areas to make it you know, shore up like if it really truly has a stable ABI API that develop. I mean, that's a huge advantage for uh, for developers. So that's an example uh, of some good competition. Uh, you know, a little injecting some good competition. Why I took yeah. the bet? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Go ahead, Tyler. If you don't mind, the point I was trying to make earlier again uh, with what Matt was saying about his comparison with the audio stuff earlier. I think the biggest issue we have with Mir and Wayland, especially if they're competing against each other, is who are the driver developers going to cater to? Right. That's a big part of the picture that right now, I mean, seems to be predominantly in Wayland's uh, favor. Yes and no. If you think about it, the Mir design actually allows the current model of proprietary drivers to be more attractive. But isn't that supposed to be just temporary? Well, another thing is well, if they're competing against each other, it's still open source, though, isn't it? I mean, they can still look at each other's code freely and yep. borrow from it. So. <laughs> yes. Bingo. Yep. But, yes, exactly. but the drivers, let's say the NVIDIA drivers, if you want to use the good ones, they're proprietary. 
and they might end up being working only well with Wayland. Well, that's true. has to actually put resources towards supporting Mir specifically, because that is our only problem in open source, is the binary blobs of our video drivers. Almost every other part of our ecosystem is open. Yeah, and it's a, it's a problem we're having with, you know, with mobile devices as well, more so with mobile devices, because they all have loads of binary blobs to get them working. Um, and that's partly why we've gone down the road we have of using, you know, some of the Android driver stack to, to mm-hmm. enable that quickly. But listen, I, I know, I know you, you're, you're quite keen on, um, impressing the point that, that we as, you know, a Linux community are, on the hook for this and we've got to, you know, get this done. Mm -hmm. Nobody understands that any more than us. We've got at least two, uh, handset vendors, which we're, you know, going to be contractually obliged to provide software for this year. And that puts enormous pressure on us to get this right, because these things are going to be shipping to real people, you know, proper handsets they can order, buy, and use as their real phone on a daily basis. And so we we are very cognizant of of that pressure and trying to get the intricate technicalities of those pieces working correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're aware of that. No, <laughs> if anything, the, good the timing news. is almost oh, it's almost tragic when the time of XP is be- ending its life. We messed up in conquering the world when I Vista at- screwed up. But now well, XP's end of life is coming up, and now we have another shot. But now uh, Canonical has given us another well, situation. Well, no, like Poby points out, those Fine users would be switching to LTS. for Linux. Exactly. Well, XP is any... already dead. Desktop yeah, Linux. I think Alan is, Alan's point's well taken. Most companies have already switched to Windows 7. I would yeah, like to make another point regarding drivers. Um, the good news is AMD does plan on going completely open source for the kernel driver and leaving the proprietary stuff for the user land. Right, that's a very interesting development that could make it. And maybe, maybe you know, I don't know if Nvidia is even capable of doing the same thing, but that could solve this these types of problems in a big way. And that that was something I I didn't mention in, in uh, Sunday's last, but that was something I put into consideration. Is and I wonder if that is influencing AMD's decision in doing that is because they're kind of looking at the future landscape and going, well, you know, you know, I think the big thing is the, I, really honestly, I think the big thing for Nvidia is they're probably looking back and seeing, okay. Well, what what direction is the Steambox going to go in? And whatever that, you know, I mean, sure, if, if Steambox decides to go Mir, then, uh, and, you know, honestly, it sounds like there's some compelling reasons around the Oculus Rift and things like that where they might want to go Mir. And wouldn't that be quite the upset? But I bet you anything NVIDIA's watching for that. And that might make their decision right there. I don't know. Let's hope well, so. Well, you know, at the BSD conferences, there's been a lot of discussion lately about the problem of monocultures. There's a few specific products that have taken off to the point where they are the only choice for stuff. For example, OpenSSH is like 95% plus market share other than a couple embedded things like DropBear, right? Yeah. And there's no alternative. And yes, I, that's, that's a bad thing. So having an alternative to Xorg isn't necessarily a bad thing. But what yeah. X, X had no alternative for a very right. long time. Yeah, um, that's why thirty-some-odd years was yeah. merited. Mm. Kind of switching tracks, though. Uh, what happens like five, ten years now when uh, X stops being supported across the board? What will BSD do? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, BSD well, is boned. Yeah, what is BSD's plan there, Alan? Do you know? We already have experimental port, uh, import of Weston and Whaler. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> there's, just nothing, there's nothing we can use it on yet. Right. Wow, that's amazing, though. Which uh, is the problem. So work is already kind of beginning there. Uh, I think it's going to be... A, if somebody had an app that we could actually run on it, that would be helpful. Yeah, that would be really awesome if BSD done <laughs> exactly. the Wayland thing, even before Linux got full support for it. Oh, other than and that would do wonders in general, I think. Oh, my yeah. God. Remember when Fedora 15 was supposed to have Wayland? Yeah. Also yeah. God. Which yeah. is... Everyone seems to agree that it's a critical time because once we've set this, um, it's as an opportunity as well to take on users. But um, actually, it's one of the reasons to make this a more thought-out decision because it's going to be what will affect us down the road. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point, and maybe we'll we'll end right there because that's just been a, just a great conversation. I like getting the all perspectives in on this one, and uh, I think. I think it's going to be a very interesting future. And if only there was some way we could follow this as it's developed and create a history of it. Hmm. Maybe hmm, on shows how could like we do this. that? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe on your local Linux Unplugged and Linux Action Show. We'll keep on top of it. And hopefully, we've given you some reasons to think about why the display server does or does not matter a little more than you had before. Before we wrap up, I wanted to uh, maybe uh, ask your feedback on anything we've covered, obviously, today, but also, what do you think about Linux Mint? perhaps using the same Ubuntu LTS base for Linux Mint 17, 18, 19, and 20. That's right. For the next, uh, for, for the next while, Linux Mint wow. would be based on Ubuntu 1404 LTS. They say they would use that to push forward innovation in Cinnamon, be more active in development on Mate, and better support Mint tools and engage in projects we propose, we've postponed for years. I'd like to know what people think about that. What do you think, Matt? Is that going to get really boring? Is that code for we don't want to do stuff? I mean, I don't know. It just for me, it just seems like what's from an end user point of view. What am I really getting out of it? We're going to do these cool things, okay? Are we getting make, to the point where I don't, the, I don't? I don't. I don't know. Are we at the point where the base is good enough, and so now it's time but to focus not. on? Yeah. Well, I, I don't. Well, I don't include not. the desktop environment. I mean, like the base, like the kernel. You know, the, the tools. Uh, like the the GNU tools, all that kind of stuff. Are we are we at a point now where it's good enough? Because also keep in mind, isn't that kind of what the next OpenSUSE release is? The guys are not really focusing sure. on the under the hood stuff, but they're more focusing on the services around OpenSUSE. Yeah, yeah, they kind of are. Okay, so let's just for argument say they do that. Are they going to be also stagnating on the kernel and just basically applying little you know patches okay. as far as yeah? Sounds awfully I mean, but- boring to me, Matt. Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, hey, I got to do this piece of hardware. Good thing I got that new kernel. Oh, that's oh. right. I don't. Yeah, see what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Well, and, and it's not like the rest of the world standing it, uh, standing still. Right. And it's it's a it's a real close balancing act getting those user land applications, which eventually end up relying on underlying stuff that has to be updated. Sounds like they're doing a Simply Mepis to me. That's just me. Well, let's so. hear what the audience thinks. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, choose Linux Unplugged from the dropdown, and send us in your thoughts on that or anything we covered in this week's Linux Unplugged. And don't forget, if you'd like to participate in our virtual lug, hang out with us over at jblive.tv. We do this on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific. Go over, go over to the calendar. You'll get it just in your local time zone, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Matt, Ish. on Sunday, we'll be, uh, we'll be chatting with one of the guys behind Gen 2. And I'm hoping to have uh, the new GNOME 312 on my machine. I don't know if it'll make it yet, but I hope. Nice. So we'll be talking nice. about that. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Tuesday.